0: Welcome to the reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette for Saturday, February 4th. I'm your reader, Mary Neff. Before we move to the Gazette's front page, let's take a quick look and run down the weather for you. Today we have partly cloudy and warmer. The high is supposed to hit 41, according to the Gazette, although I saw on my forecast this morning on my phone that it could get as high as 48 today. So hopefully we will enjoy that weather. Uh, There is going to be a wind southwest from 10 to 20 miles an hour. Tomorrow Sunday, partly cloudy with a wind 10 to 20 from the west and a high around 37. And then on Monday, there is a chance of snow and rain with winds picking up southeast 20 to 30 miles an hour and highs around 44. If you'd like to know how that compares to the norm, we would normally be around 29 for a high and 12 for a low. Whereas over the next few days, we're going to be in the, uh, let's see, mid to upper 20s for our low temperatures. In 1909, we had a record high, this date of 56, and in 1996, there was a record low of minus 21. And the days continue to get a little bit longer. We're going to have 10 hours and 10 minutes of daylight today. There is a brief top weather story from meteorologist Corey Thompson of KCRG, and he says... Allow me this space to toot our own horns for a second. Sunday is National Weather Persons Day. This particular date on the calendar was chosen because it corresponds with the birth of John Jeffreys, one of the country's first weather observers. He was born in either 1744 or 45, and started taking daily weather observations in Boston in 1774. Jeffreys also pioneered upper air observation in London in 1784, carrying a set of instruments to a height of 9,000 feet. But it's not just the five of us at KCRG on the first alert storm team that this is about. The thousands of trained meteorologists across the country helping to keep you safe deserve some recognition. Kudos to all of them, too. So if you happen to see a weather person in the next day or two, you might want to wish them happy weather person's day. On the Gazette's front page is a story of a kind we don't normally see on their front page. It's a sports-related story. It's under the title Heart of a Champion by Vanessa Miller of the Gazette, Dateline Coralville. There's not a lot of grace in wrestling, given the grind Iowa wrestlers endure in preparation for competition. Some coaches say there's no hope in wrestling either. But inside Coralville's Extreme Arena this week, as 448 high school girls grappled for their sport's first sanctioned state title, you could find both. Not necessarily on the mat or in the corners, but in the heart of a young Charles City wrestler named Logan. Logan Luft ate, slept, and breathed wrestling. He practiced five nights a week and took his family to tournaments in Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and the Dakotas. One year, he gave up pop, and this kid loved sugar, said his mom, Wendy Luft, when his coach set a 10,000 pull-up challenge. We had to bring the pull-up bar with us to every hotel, every family event. Everything we did, we had to have that pull-up bar, she said. In summer 2017, at age 15, Headed into his freshman year with plans to start varsity at the 106 weight, Logan had just qualified for Fargo, host of the USA Wrestling Junior and and 16-and-under national championships. It was the 4th of July, and some friends, after the annual parade, asked him to their grandparents' acreage on the edge of town along the Cedar River. Wendy went home to start the grill for a barbecue they were hosting and got a phone call just as her husband, Lenny Luft, a Charles City police officer, ended his shift. She said it was one of his partners who had gotten the call to come to the accident scene and he knew it was bad, so he had us come straight there and wait for the helicopter to come get him. Logan had been a passenger on a friend's ATV and was thrown off when it took a turn. They planned to airlift him from the scene, but the sky was unsettled. A storm was brewing, and first responders ended up taking him by ambulance to an emergency room. Wendy said, I jumped right in the back of the ambulance and of course went into mom mode. I'm screaming and probably losing control, she said. When paramedics removed her, she ran around to the front seat and turned to reach for her boy. She said, I turned to put my hands on his head and I just started talking to him at that point praying over him just letting him know I was there quote. Logan eventually was flown to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota and when Wendy and Lenny arrived they were ushered into a small room Wendy said a lady came in grabbed my arm and said you need to come with me they were wheeling him from where they were up to surgery, and they said, I want you to talk to him. So I gave him a hug and a kiss and said, I love you, and they took him away. Those were her last words to Logan, who died July 5, 2017, from his injuries. Into the family's grief came Life Source, an organ, eye, and tissue donation organization. Wendy said they were like, we're sorry for your loss, but at this point, he can do amazing things for some people. And we were like, let's do it. This is what Logan would want to do. Like the wrestling family they were, she said, they harnessed their competitive energy. She said, I was like, well, we're going to save 27 people. And they said, well, the max you can do is eight. And we were like, well, we're going to do nine. And they were like, that's not enough organs to do that. In the end, Logan made five organ donations and 21 other tissue-related gifts. And every time a doctor would come in with news of a match, we'd have this huge celebration, Wendy said. During the four days they kept Logan alive to preserve his organs, the family sat by him, cuddled him, and listened to his favorite music from Johnny Cash to ACDC, Logan's favorite song was Cash's God's Gonna Cut You Down, Wendy said. He had wanted it to be his walkout song played before his wrestling matches. And although it wasn't how he imagined, he got that wish. Wendy said, when we took him down to surgery, the entire hospital staff and our family all lined the hallway and we played his walkout song. 600 miles south of Charles City, a few days later, Denise Henderson's sister-in-law, a physician, shared with her news that one of her young transplant patients had accepted a heart. Henderson and her husband, Daniel, had been foster parents for about five years, and her sister-in-law suggested they take in the seven-year-old patient, Ember, who not only needed a new heart, but a new home. Henderson said to the suggestion, No, we're good. We've already adopted three. But Ember's condition deteriorated, given the transplant process's complexity and her other health conditions, having been born with a single ventricle in her heart. Months earlier, Ember had gone into heart failure and was admitted to the hospital in October 2016. She spent half a year on the transplant list until the day of Logan's death. She was his match, although the transplant nearly failed during the operation. Daniel Henderson said she coded four times and was resuscitated, in the months that followed, Ember was in and out of the hospital, still grappling with medical and family needs, and when Henderson's sister-in-law called again, crying, asking them to come get this kid, the couple said okay. They brought her home as foster parents the day after Valentine's Day, 2018, fell in love, and officially adopted her October ninth, 2020. Wendy Luft, who connected with the family early on, was at Ember's adoption and chose her new middle name. It had to start with an L, like the Luff's other kids, Logan, Landon, and Lily. Leviah, her mom said, was their choice. It means heart of God. Lily Loft had always been close to her brother, but unlike him, she did not like wrestling when she first stopped on the mat in third grade. It turned out I wasn't very good, she said. I think I won one match the whole year. So, Lily shifted her focus to basketball, until Logan died when she was twelve. She said, "'We were very close. We spent all our time together camping and boating and fishing and hunting.'" So, when Lily's soon-to-be high school launched a girls' wrestling team a few years later, she wanted to be on it. She said, I basically just did it because of him. And this time, Lily was good. She said, I definitely knew a few moves already, and I was a pretty quick learner. As a freshman, she took fourth in the Iowa High School Girls' State Wrestling Tournament before it was a sanctioned event. She went on to win her state brackets as a sophomore and again as a junior, coming into this week's tournament with a 52-0 record in the last year. Before, during, and after matches, she said... Logan is on her mind. Lily said it was his dream to become a champion, and obviously he never got to do that, so getting to go through that and kind of pursue his dreams is really cool. Acknowledging they're her dreams now, too, she said his next dream was getting to go to Iowa. In September, she committed to wrestle for the University of Iowa's new Hawkeye Women's Wrestling Team, the first of any Power Five conference school. And although Lily has won two state champions, She said this year feels different. It's her first state tournament since the Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union sanctioned girls wrestling. It's also the first time Ember, now 13, and her parents have been there. They drove up from Kentucky earlier this week, not knowing what to expect. Ember said, confessing, I love it. I feel nervous when she wrestles. I want her to win. I never want her to lose. Heading into the semifinals Friday morning, Lily not only hadn't lost, she hadn't allowed a point against her, and as she raised her hand following another decisive 9-1 and win to send her to the third state championship bout, her heart was racing, her mom's heart was racing, her dad's heart was racing, and next to her family in the stands, her brother's heart was racing, too. And the story is accompanied by two photos. One is a lovely photo of Lily Luft, age 16, posing for a portrait with Ember at uh, Extreme Arena. And as a reminder, Ember and her family drove up from Kentucky to watch Lily wrestle in the Girl State Wrestling Tournament. Ember received Lily's late brother's heart when she was seven years old. And then there's a nice picture of Charles City's Lily Luft uh, with her hand raised Friday after her semifinal victory during the last day of the Iowa State Girls Wrestling Championships. Moving to something completely different, uh, also from the Gazette's front page, this is from Aaron Murphy of the Gazette's Des Moines Bureau under the title Reynolds. If one school removes a book, all schools should. Dateline Des Moines. If one Iowa school decides to remove a book from its library, all Iowa schools would be required to do the same under a proposal floated this week by Governor Kim Reynolds at an event hosted by a national group that advocates for parents' rights in public education. At the Thursday night event hosted by the group Mons for Liberty, Reynolds said under her proposal, educational material removed by any Iowa school district would be required to be removed by every district in the state. Groups like Moms for Liberty and its advocate members are pushing for public schools to not only be more transparent with curriculum and library materials, but for schools to remove library books and classroom materials they find objectionable. Almost exclusively, the subject matter of the materials challenged have to deal with LGBTQ people or issues or discussions of race. During her remarks, Reynolds said there is a need, quote, to restore sanity, to make sure our schools are a place of learning and not indoctrination. It's sad that any of this actually needs to be written into law, Reynolds said. Reynolds accused the radical left of treating students like their personal property and asserted some educators believe patriotism is racist and that pornographic books are education. Reynolds was greeted with loud applause and multiple standing ovations by most of the roughly 200 people who attended, but her remarks also were interrupted at least a half dozen times by protesters who shouted while she was speaking. Each protester was escorted out of the auditorium by law enforcement officials. It is my job to keep your children safe, one protester yelled while being escorted out. Another, who on her way out of the auditorium toward the end of the event, sarcastically assured the audience that there are no litter boxes in Iowa schools. The comment was a reference to the widely debunked Internet rumor that some schools have been placing litter boxes in bathrooms to accommodate students who wish to identify as cats. No actual evidence of this has ever been found in any schools. During a panel discussion and a question-and-answer session that featured seven Republican state lawmakers, two legislators say they would like to move legislation that would create more spots for members of the public to serve on the state board that licenses and disciplines Iowa teachers and other educators. Currently, the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners is required by state law to include 12 members, two from the public, the state education department director, and nine licensed practitioners. The public members and professionals are appointed by the governor and confirmed by the Iowa Senate. Representative Steve Holt, a Republican from Denison, who's been active in advancing bills regarding public education transparency and curriculum requirements, pledged legislation to change how the Education Oversight Board is populated. Holt said, we're going to put parents on the Board of Examiners. We're going to change that system. Moms for Liberty is a national nonprofit issue advocacy organization founded in Florida. It mobilizes individuals around parents' rights in education and trains candidates for political office, including local school boards. During the event, Reynolds and multiple state legislatures highlighted the new $345 million state funded private school financial aid package that Reynolds recently signed into law. Reynolds and other Republicans said the new state funding will help families find the Iowa school they feel is best for their children. Moving to Iowa today, we have a brief article. Marion City Council Member Plans to Resign Next Month. Dateline Marion. Marion City Council Member Colette Atkins will resign next month and it will be up to the council to decide how to fill her vacancy. Atkins, who has served on the council since 2018, announced her resignation Friday. It will be effective March 31st. Her term expires at the end of the year. It has been an honor to serve on the Marion City Council for the last five years. There's such great momentum in our community, and I'm proud to have played a small part in it. Atkins said in a statement, she continued, I applaud our forward-thinking city leaders and my dedicated colleagues on the City Council for their leadership. It has been a pleasure to watch our community flourish, and I am most proud of the work we accomplished through the Community Equity Task Force. Atkins, who represents Ward 1, was appointed to fill a vacancy in October 2018. She was elected to a full four-year term in November 2019. Mayor Nick Abu called it an honor to have served with Atkins, saying in a statement, She is a thoughtful member and a strong advocate for our residents. She will be missed by our team. The city council can fill a vacancy by appointment or hold a special election. A decision will be made during the next week's regularly scheduled meeting. The council will meet in a work session at 4 p.m. Tuesday and it will hold its regular meeting at 5:30 p.m. Thursday. The seat will be on the ballot this fall and the new member will serve until December 31st. Next from the Iowa Today page we have three consecutive court-related stories. First from Emily Anderson, Cedar Rapids man charged with murder in Webster County shooting in 2016. A Cedar Rapids man has been charged with first degree murder in connection with the 2016 shooting death of a Webster County man. Christopher Todd Johnson, age 49, made his first court appearance Friday and is being held on a $1 million cash only bond. Donald Edward Preston, age 51, was found dead in a field in the area of Johnson Avenue and 225th Street in rural Webster County in central Iowa on December 26, 2016. An autopsy determined that he died of gunshot wounds to the head and abdomen, according to a news release from the Webster County Sheriff's Office. The release stated, since the initial call on December 26, 2016, detectives and agents have Followed up numerous leads, conducted numerous interviews, and the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation Crime Lab has processed all evidence collected during this investigation in a combined effort to identify and prosecute the individual responsible for this homicide. According to a criminal complaint, Preston and Johnson were together December 20th, six days before Preston's body was found. Johnson drove Preston around that day in rural Webster County on gravel roads and showed Preston his handgun. Johnson then shot and killed Preston with the gun and left him in the field, according to the criminal complaint. Johnson recently was released from prison after serving about five years for possessing a firearm as a prohibited person, a charge he pleaded guilty to in 2018, the release dates, According to an obituary for Preston on the Loffesweiler Severs Funeral Home website, he was survived by four children and several grandchildren, was born in Iowa City, and lived much of his life in Fort Dodge. And lastly, another brief crime-related story. Arrest made in January, fatal shooting in Cedar Rapids from Emily Anderson. A Cedar Rapids man was arrested Friday in connection with the fatal shooting of Mohammed Taufik on January 8th. Police found Taufik dead with apparent gunshot wounds in his vehicle off the roadway in the 5600 block of Kirkwood Boulevard Southwest. Officers responded to a call that someone had been shot at 7.22 p.m., according to the Cedar Rapids Police Department. Paris Diamond, age 21, is facing charges of first-degree murder, first-degree robbery, intimidation with a dangerous weapon, and going armed with intent, according to a news release from the police department. He was located in Cedar Rapids and taken into custody by the U.S. Marshal Service's Northern Iowa Fugitive Task Force, the release states. Now a story from Brittany J. Miller of the Gazette. Mountain lion shot and killed in Johnson County. A mountain lion was killed in Johnson County last weekend, according to the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. The animal, an adult female weighing 116 pounds, was shot by two licensed hunters who were out at night calling for coyotes west of Swisher. The Iowa DNR had been aware of the mountain lion's whereabouts since last spring thanks to trail camera photos submitted by residents and hunters in the area. Department fur bearer and wetland biologist Vince Evelsizer said in an email, During that time, she was seldom if ever seen by humans and didn't ever cause safety or livestock problems. Quote. Mountain lions are the largest wildcats historically documented in Iowa and likely used to have a statewide range. They were considered locally extinct in 1867. The Iowa DNR started receiving reports of probable mountain lion sightings again in the mid-1900s. The department's Clear Lake office now receives an average of two to four reports of mountain lion sightings a week. Statewide, more than 2,000 sightings have been reported since 2010. Johnson County had a confirmed sighting in April 2022 and a highly probable sighting in October 2011. There have been no sightings in Lynn County. There is no documentation of any self-sustaining breeding populations of mountain lions in the state. There have been no documented mountain lion attacks on humans in Iowa. There has only been one confirmed case of livestock damage from the animals, along with unconfirmed reports of deer kills by mountain lions. At least six other mountain lions have been shot in Iowa since 1995. The cats are not protected by Iowa law. There is also an article in the Iowa Today section, Iowa AG Warns Pharmacies About Mailing Abortion Pills. This is by Caleb McCullough of Gazette's Lee Des Moines Bureau. And I'm just going to be able to read an excerpt just in the interest of time. Iowa Attorney General Brenna Byrd signed on to a letter this week warning pharmacy chains Walgreens and CVS of legal trouble if they follow through on plans to deliver abortion pills by mail. The letter, signed by 20 Republican attorneys general, argued the pharmacies risked violating federal law by mailing abortion pills known as a medication abortion, contradicting guidance from President Joe Biden's administration. Bird on Friday told the Quad City Times she disagreed with the way the drug was approved for distribution and had safety concerns about the broader accessibility of medication abortions, saying any process to approve a drug to be distributed that way needs to be done the right way, according to the book. We need to make sure it is safe. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration last month finalized a rule allowing for retail pharmacies to dispense mifepristone, including through the mail. The sale of the drug was previously restricted to more specialized clinics. Walgreens and CVS said that when the FDA rule changed, they were in the process of becoming certified to sell the medication. Bird said she is concerned the broader availability of the drug would lead to it being prescribed without an exam to decide if a pregnancy is in the right stage for the drug. The pills can be taken up to 11 weeks into a pregnancy, according to Planned Parenthood. Bird said it's not having a doctor examine the patient before prescribing in order to determine how far along the pregnancy is. That's where the complications come along from that pill. And when it's an Internet mailing prescription, that is not in the best interest of women's health. Iowa has allowed for telemedicine-based medication abortions for years, but women need to receive an ultrasound before receiving the medication. Telehealth provider Carafem offers mailed medication abortions after a patient receives an ultrasound. In a statement on Thursday, Iowa Democratic Party Chair Rita Hart criticized the move, as well as Republican Governor Kim Reynolds' efforts to restrict abortion in the state. Hart said, When Brenna Byrd quietly signed on to this letter full of thoroughly debunked inaccuracies, she set a dangerous precedent and signaled that she doesn't understand that her job is not to be a lackey for Kim Reynolds. The majority of Iowans believe abortion should be legal, and our leaders should respect and protect our reproductive freedoms. Medication abortion is legal in Iowa, but that could change under a bill proposed in the Iowa House. We do not have a local editorial from the Gazette, but we do have a guest column from Jamie Haberl, I apologize if I have mispronounced it, H-A-B-E-R-L, uh, whose title of this column is Double Up Food Bucks Puts Fresh Food on Iowa's Plates. Jamie Haberl is executive director at the Iowa Healthiest State Initiative, where she leads efforts to create awareness and integrate solutions to improve the physical, social, and mental well-being of Iowans, and says, It seems like we hear it every time we turn on the news. Prices of food are rising, and during these difficult economic times, Iowans are struggling with food insecurity. These rising food prices may force low-income Iowans to make the difficult choice between healthier, more expensive foods like fresh fruit and vegetables or stretching dollars to accommodate additional needs. There is a solution that would help, Double Up Food Bucks, which provides the extra dollars needed to help Iowa families access nutritious, healthy food options. Double Up Food Bucks is a statewide nutrition incentive program that partners with local farmers' markets and Iowa-based grocery stores to increase the purchasing power of low-income families to buy fresh produce. This program is not a complicated or convoluted safety net program. Instead, it directly addresses food insecurity and nutrition by putting dollars in the hands of Iowans who need them and directing them them toward the purchase of healthy, fresh food at Iowa-owned businesses. Not only does it benefit those who are hungry and in need of nutritious food, it benefits our local economies and farmers. For every dollar, snap and double up food bucks spent, $1.90 goes back into the local economy. That equates to more than $7.6 million of economic impact since launching in 2016. Better still, of the funding is spent locally and not at big box retailers. In 2021, more than 173,000 Iowans used Double Up Food Bucks across 67 counties and 142 locations on more than 2.7 million servings of produce. This was a significant increase over the previous year. To continue supporting these efforts and providing low-income families with nutritious food, the Double Up Food Bucks program needs investment from the Iowa Legislature during the 2023 legislative session. With a small investment from the state, the Double Up Food Bucks program can leverage money from the federal government and private donations to be spent at Iowa farmers' markets, food cooperatives, and Iowa-owned grocery stores, and provide more than 2.5 million extra servings of fruits and vegetables to Iowa families. This is not a government handout. Instead, supporting the Double Up Food Bucks program means lawmakers are supporting local farmers and Iowa businesses, providing better nutrition options for low-income Iowans, reducing the cost of government health care spending, and growing the economy in small-town communities across the state. I hope Iowa lawmakers will consider investing in the Double Up Food Bucks program in 2023. And again, that is Jamie Haberl, Executive Director at the Iowa Healthiest State Initiative. Michael Fritz of Coralville has written this community letter to the Gazette, and it reads, The Iowa flag carries these words, Our liberties we prize and our rights we will maintain. I am curious how the Iowa House protects the liberties and rights of all Iowans under House File 83, which prevents public schools from teaching about LGBTQ to K-3 students. Have you been in a school to see the number of diverse K-3 students that do not have the typical mom-slash-dad role models? How does House File 9 protect our transgender students from abusive parents that may not recognize that they have a trans child, and would abuse the child because, quote, in their eyes, this isn't normal, end quote. How does House File 7 that requires universities to report to lawmakers their definitions of LGBTQ terms protect the LGBTQ communities and liberties and rights? How does underfunding schools below the inflation rate protect the liberties of all Iowans? How does budgeting to protect tax cuts for the wealthy and giving money to families that already can afford private education benefit all Iowans? I am curious who Republicans represent. They do not advocate for all Iowans and all of Iowans' liberties. It seems to me the flag's motto of our liberties we prize and our rights we will maintain needs a huge revision to recognize Iowa is only for wealth. Wealthy white religious conservatives, says Michael Fritz of Coralville. I'll take a break just a moment to remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette for Saturday, February 4th on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. And now we will turn to today's obituaries, starting with the shorter notices. From Cedar Rapids, Charles R. Edwards, age 82, died yesterday. Murdoch Funeral Home and Cremation Service is handling those arrangements. In Venton, Darby Stein, age 64, died Thursday, February 2nd. Phillips Funeral Home is assisting the family. In Oxford, William A. Bulger, age 73, died Monday, January 30th. His arrangements are being handled through Snyder and Hollenbaugh Funeral and Cremation Services in Riverside. And from West Branch, Stanley Pryor, Jr., age 88, died Thursday, February 1st, and those arrangements will be made through lensing, Funeral and Cremation Service. Moving to the slightly longer obituaries, although this first one is not not particularly um, informative, but Chad E. Newmeyer, age 32, of Iowa City, died Wednesday, February 1st at UI Hospitals and Clinics. A time to remember and celebrate Chad's life for family and friends will be held at a later date. To share a thought, memory, or condolence with his family, please visit the Gay and Chia Funeral and Cremation Service website at gayandchia.com. Next, we have Virgil Leroy Van Amberg of Norwalk. He was 83 and passed away at his home last Tuesday, January 31st. Visitation will be held from 2 to 3 p.m. on Saturday, February 11th at Cedar Memorial Chapel of Memories in Cedar Rapids, uh, followed by a memorial service and the burial. Although he was born in Long Beach, California, he uh, later moved to Iowa and attended Roosevelt High School in Cedar Rapids. And we have an obituary here for Joe M. Bontrager, who was 92 years old, and he was born in Fairbanks, Iowa, growing up in Buchanan County to an Amish family, and was a member of the Old Order Amish Church and later East Union Mennonite. He had lived in Kelowna and North Liberty and Fresno, California, before coming to Wyndham, Minnesota to live with family. He passed away December 19th, just one month short of his 93rd birthday, at home in Windom, Minnesota. And the announcement concludes by saying, blessed be the memory of Joe M. Bontrager. Services will be held in the spring of 2023 in Kelowna. Our final local obituary is for Eldon Ralph Pribble, P-R-Y-B-I-L. He was 83 years old. Born in Iowa City, graduated from Lone Tree High School. He was part of a group known as the Gentleman Farmers in the southeast corner of Johnson County, who were a very competitive group, and in 1979, Eldon grew the most corn per acre in the nation at 229.07 bushels per acre. A gathering is planned for April 16th. That's April 16th of 2023 with an open house at 1 to 4 p.m. Celebration of Life at 3 p.m. The event will take place at Celebration Farm in Iowa City. I'm sure there'll be more about that coming up as the event uh, gets closer. In lieu of flowers, memorials may be directed to the Bird House Hospice Home of Johnson County. Friends of Coralville Lake Iowa City Hospice. He passed away, by the way, on January 31st. As we move to sports, we started out today with a sports-related girls wrestling story on the front page, and we have one here on the front page of the sports section as well. It is under the title Dream It and Do It, written by K.J. Pilcher, Dateline Coralville. Every ounce of sweat, each droplet of blood, and all the sacrifice that has led to exhaustion and sore muscles has been well worth it. Cedar rapids prairies, Mackenzie Childers parlayed all of her hard work for a shot at her ultimate goal, saying, "Training longer than anybody else, winning every sprint, training in the off-season, obviously, I'll go to club and participate in off-season tournaments. I really think that's what it takes to get where I am now." Childers became the Hawks' first finalist at the inaugural IGHSAU's state wrestling tournament Friday at Extreme Arena. The sophomore 125-pounder handled Council Bluffs Lewis Central's fourth-seeded Sophie Barnes 10-2 in a semifinal. Childers said, "'This is really special because I've been working for this for so long. Every wrestler wants to win a state title. Every wrestler wants to be in the state finals. It's great to have this opportunity.'" Childers, at 48-0, has pinned 40 of her opponents this season, including her first three state foes. Barnes was the first to reach the third period and go the distance at state. Childers surrendered the opening takedown to face a rare deficit. Her reversal with one second left in the first tried the score, reset the match and sparked a 10-0 run that propelled her into the championship match. Childers said getting that reversal at the end of the first period really put the match in perspective to me. We're tied going into the second period. It's pretty much like 0-0 where we first started. Now I just have to score the next point to win this match. End quote. The feat holds a special meaning to Childers. She complimented the Prairie community for following and encouraging the wrestlers this season. Childers was proud to represent the school in the finals and said, The community at Prairie is amazing. Everyone is supportive. I have teachers who are live streaming my matches in classes. It just means a lot to me. End quote. She was one of thirteen top-seeded wrestlers to reach the finals. The lone weight without the top seed in the finals was one ten. Vinton Shellsberg's Bree Swenson played the spoiler. Swenson handed Osage's number one seed Jalen Goodale her first loss of the season. Swenson reclaimed the lead at eight seven when she pinned Goodale at in four fifty three. I've been working for this all season, Swenson said. It's pretty exciting. Swenson rolled to the semifinals with two pins and an eight no major decision. She approached it like every other match, saying, "I stayed in the right mindset. I kept focus. I did my regular warm-up and got ready for it." The Vikings Chloe Sanders joined Swenson in the finals. She has matched Swenson' result for result, opening with two pins and a major decision. Swenson pinned East Buchanan's Destiny Crumb to reach the one thirty final. Vinton Schelsberg had five qualifiers with three medalists. Ellie Wheats in the 115 weight reached the semifinals and finished in the top six. Swenson said, We all put the same effort in. It's not just them. It's been our whole team that has put effort in to make us better and get us here. Union Community's Jillian Worthen powered her way to the finals. The top-seeded 105-pound sophomore, known affectionately as Monster, pinned Sumner Fredericksburg's number four Hillary Trainer in 3:44 of the semifinal. Worthen said about resting before the final, "I wanted to make it quick so I could rest up for tonight, which will be against Mason City's number seven Layla Phillips." Iowa Valley's Emma Peach in the one forty-five and Decorah's Naomi Simon at one seventy won Iowa wrestling coaches and officials associations girls state titles here last year. After the IGHSAU announced the sports sanctioning, they both took an unbeaten record into the finals. Iowa City West second-seeded Janelle Avila returned to the state finals, avenging a regional final loss to East Buchanan's Keeley. Curly and there are several dramatic photos of the matches in progress that were reported on in this story by K.J. Pilcher and of course we want to give uh, due credit to the boys wrestling programs this is by K.J. Pilcher down a notch and subtitled West Delaware no longer the favorite in class 2a but don't count the hawks out either Dateline Coralville West Delaware's role has changed. The Hawks have enjoyed being the top dog the last four seasons, but now can be considered an underdog. West Delaware senior Will Ward said, It's a little different. We've had some dang good teams the last few years. It has added some motivation to the seniors for sure, knowing that it's not going to be given to us this year, end quote. Four-time defending state champions, the Hawks will attempt to extend their streak at the IHSAA State Duals Wrestling Tournament today at Extreme Arena. Quarterfinals, finals for all three classes began at nine a.m. West Delaware coach Jeff Voss said, We don't talk about winning or losing or winning state championships. We are very intentional about setting goals every day that are going to make us better from the last time we practiced and last time we competed. I think that mindset allowed kids to improve every year, which has allowed us to be at a high level the last four, five, or six years, end quote. West Delaware opens against number 7, Webster City. The Hawks are seeded second, which is their lowest seed since being fourth in 2018. They are behind heavy favorite and top-ranked Osage and were rated behind potential semifinal opponent number 3, Sergeant Bluff Luton, for part of the season. Hawks senior Logan Payton said, We're excited for another opportunity. It's a pretty special deal to be able to go down there and do this. It's been fun. West Delaware has always valued the team aspect of wrestling. The duels are important to the coaches and athletes because it involves every member of the program. They share in the wins and losses equally. Peyton said, we want to get better every day. Every single kid in there from freshman to senior wants to be part of this culture that we have and the team we have built, end quote. The tradition has been built on unity and unbreakable bonds that are fortified by off-season excursions, which included a team camp at Luther College in Decorah and the team's spotlight exercise that consists of everyone telling a designated teammate how and why they are important to the team. Voss said, The kids care about each other. The kids want their workout partner to be as good as they can be, end quote. Voss said the seniors have been a key component to the program's success. They have emerged as leaders. Cam Guther lends the way as the top-ranked heavyweight. Carson Less is 4th at 120 pounds, Will Ward at 195 is 5th, while 138-pounder Carson Turnus is number 7 and Peyton is 11th at 160. The last four years, these kids have been the hidden gem in our state championships, Voss said, continuing, I couldn't be more proud. The Hawks' stretch of dominance was highlighted by a crazy win streak in the class. West Delaware logged 70 straight dual victories against two A foes that spanned 1,785 days. The string was snapped by state duels qualifier Williamsburg on January 5th. A new streak started, reaching eight in a row and all coming against two A teams. Ward ends by saying, we've made some big strides. Well, as important as wrestling is, we don't want to leave out basketball. We have here a girls' basketball story from Jeff Linder, complete with a Seinfeld reference in the first sentence. So it is under the title, Xavier has a team meeting, looks like a new group versus Linmar. Jeff Linder writes, this isn't Festivus season, but the Xavier Saints held an extended airing of grievances session Tuesday night. They had just suffered their fourth consecutive loss against Dubuque Sr. The locker room wasn't a happy place. Kyla Mason said our team chemistry has been a little off. Our captains thought a team meeting might help us get it figured out. We had a long talk until about 11 o'clock talking about where we want to be. Three nights later, the Stars played like stars, and the Saints played more like themselves. Libby Fandel said after Class 4A 6-ranked Cedar Rapids Xavier snapped out of its slump with an emphatic 62-46 victory over 5A number 11 Linmar in a Mississippi Valley Conference girls basketball game last night at Ron Thillen Gymnasium. Oh, that was a lot. I think we got a bunch of things figured out. That's what Libby said. Vandell scored 24 points, Mason added 18, and the Saints shot 59.5% from the field and accumulated 15 assists. Xavier coach Tom Lilly said, I think that was one of the complaints Tuesday. Not everybody was sharing the ball. Wednesday and Thursday, we had a couple of nice practices. We put the zone defense back in. I think we were tired of having opponents just worry about man-to-man. Let's give them something else to think about. This performance may have given a lot of four A teams something to think about going forward," Fandell said. "We all wanted this one, especially for our seniors. They hadn't beaten Linmar since their freshman year. End quote. By the middle of the second quarter, it was pretty clear that this was Xavier's night. An eight-point run made it twenty-three to eleven, and it was twenty-nine seventeen at halftime. Lin got within eight on three occasions in the third quarter, but Xavier stung the Lions again with a 17-5 run to start the final period and led by as many as 25. Vandell and Mason combined to hit 17 of 27 shots from the floor, with Vandell tacking on six assists and five steals. Emma Arnold and Sydney Huber tallied seven points apiece. Huber amassed eight rebounds, four assists and four steals. Lily said, Emma is the straw that stirs our drink. The kids respect what she has to say. Taylor Brunson led Linmar with 14 points. And courtesy of my very kind husband, Kelly Neff, I can give you some other girls' basketball scores from last night that were in the Agate. And he has assembled these for you. Cedar Rapids Kennedy, 67, over Cedar Rapids Jefferson, 53. Iowa City Regina took on Mid-Prairie and won 75 to 66. It was quite a dramatic win for North Lynn, 84, over Bellevue Marquette, 32. And a decisive win by Springville, 66, over Clinton, Prince of Peace, 31. And it was Edward Colesburg, 52, beating Midland, 44. And we also have one girls' bowling score Cedar Rapids, Kennedy, 2715, City High, 2491. We don't have a business article today in the Gazette, but we do have from Elijah Decius a living article titled Hop to It. Stateline Iowa City. The public art scene is hopping in downtown Iowa City as a few rabbits make an unseasonably early appearance. Well before Easter, six giant inflatable rabbits are nuzzling around on the streets, making a month-long appearance in conjunction with other temporary and permanent light displays that are part of a multifaceted experience. Around various corners of the Ped Mall, visitors and residents will find bunnies ranging from 11 to To twenty three feet tall, Buster Charlie Hippy T. Hop. Helen Watt, son, and Bertha, in Iowa City, the Hares are making their only appearance in the United States this year from down under. Renowned artist Amanda Perer, creator of the inflatable cottontails, said, "My artwork Intrude is like any good fairy tale. It works from both the light and the dark. In Australia, the rabbit simultaneously represents a cute, cuddly character from our childhood." and is an animal known to impose great destruction of the island continent's delicate ecosystems. She hopes the motifs will prompt viewers to explore and examine their relationship with the natural world. At the intersection of whimsy and introspection, the inflatable rabbits may serve as an elephant in the room. They're sweet animals with a serious environmental message on our impact on the world, said Nancy Bird, executive director of the Iowa City Downtown District, but in its heart, it's fun. That sense of wonder is at the heart of what the district is trying to do to brighten dreary winter days in February, which is historically a slower month for businesses and activities in the area. In addition to the bunnies, the district will be featuring Ali Haval's 3D doodle trees installed in December, the downtown's annual singing trees, and a new permanent 120-foot alley light canopy The installations serve as a backdrop to events planned this month to encourage more activity and engagement in the downtown area. Betsy Potter, Director of Creative Services for the ICDD, the Iowa City downtown district, said focusing on light-based, multifaceted art installations opens up a very accessible experience to the entire community and our visitors. It is something to be enjoyed at any time of the day at your own pace for the entire month. Singing Trees, activated along the Dubuque Street corridor of the Ped Mall, focus on six trees that interact, the sound's and music, while doodle trees add another eclectic layer to the self-guided experience. In partnership with University of Iowa and Newman-Monson, a new 120-foot canopy will be draped over one of the signature alleys in the heart of downtown as a permanent but adaptable fixture. Like the singing trees, it can be activated by sound to interact with those nearby and set the stage for impromptu events and activities in any season. And if you or someone you know is looking for something that they can still do today, you have time to take in some of these activities a junior dentist weekend where kids can become a dentist for a day by completing a play-doh activity that introduces them to dental health concepts like cavities and braces. Kids can take home a new toothbrush. That's going to be at the Iowa Children's Museum in the Coral Ridge Mall. It started at 10 a.m., but it goes till 6 p.m. tonight. The cost is $10 for children and adults and $9 for seniors. Uh, For theater opportunities, open is a magic act that reveals itself to be a resurrection. The magician presents myriad tricks, yet the performance seems to be attempting the impossible, to save the life of their partner, Jenny. Is our faith in these illusions enough to rewrite the past?" That is going to be at 7.30 tonight at the Mirror Box Theater, 1200 Ellis Boulevard, Northwest in Cedar Rapids. The cost is $20. If you're looking for something for free, Bittersweet Nation delivers a blend of soulful vibes and funky grooves that are sweet yet tinged with sadness. Each show is a musical journey featuring Billboard's top hits from funk to pop to soul to rock and so much more. And that will be at 7.30 p.m. tonight at the River Riverside Casino and Golf Resort Show Lounge in Riverside. Comedy uh, opportunity, Two Goofs Comedy Tour. Zach Peterson of Omaha is an affable oddball with razor sharp jokes. Casey Crawford tells short jokes loosely based on his life growing up poor in rural South Dakota, to struggling in New York City, to his current life in New England, and his weird marriage. That's going to be at the Lucky Cat Comedy and Events Venue, 301 2nd Avenue Southwest in Cedar Rapids, 8 o'clock tonight. in advance, $20 at the door, and another theater opportunity tonight at the Riverside Theater uh, on College Street in Iowa City, a walk in the woods. Two superpower arms negotiators in the 1980s go on a series of nature walks as they try to solve nuclear proliferation and prevent the next-rate conflict, a story of the past now eerily prescient, and that cost ranges from $15 to $35 dollars. And reading about that dental opportunity, I've now caught my eye on a Savvy Senior column. And this is the one that's contributed by Jim Miller. And it just so happens that the question is how to cover dental care in retirement. Uninsured Al writes, I had dental insurance through my work for many years, but lost it when I retired and joined Medicare. Where can retirees find affordable dental care? And Mr. Miller says, unfortunately, about two-thirds of U.S. retirees don't have dental insurance today. Without coverage from traditional Medicare and with private dental insurance typically costing too much to be feasible, most seniors are stuck paying full out-of-pocket prices every time they visit a dentist. While there's no one simple solution to affordable dental care, there are a variety of options that can help cut your costs. Here's where to look. First, Medicare Advantage. While dental services are mostly excluded under Original Medicare, many Medicare Advantage plans do provide coverage for dental care, but it's usually very limited. Medicare Advantage plans are government-approved health plans, usually HMOs and PPOs, sold by private insurance companies that you can choose in place of Original Medicare. To shop and research Advantage plans in your area, visit medicare.gov slash plan dash compare or call 800-633-4227. 800-633-4227. Dental insurance is another option. If you have gum problems and need extensive dental care, a dental insurance plan may be worth the cost versus paying for care yourself. Monthly premiums for individual plans range from about 20 to $80. A typical plan includes two or three cleanings and checkups per year, but these plans will likely have a waiting period, anywhere from a few months to a few years before coverage for more expensive procedures kicks in To find dental plans in your area, see eHealthInsurance.com. There also are dental savings plans. While saving plans aren't as comprehensive as insurance, they are a good option for those who don't have dental insurance. How this works is you pay an annual membership fee around $80 to $200 a year in exchange for 10 to 60% discounts on service and treatments from participating dentists. To find a savings plan, go to dental-plans.com or call 888 632 5353, 53. that's 1-888-632-5353, where you can search for plans and participating dentists, as well as get a breakdown of the discounts offered. And there also, for some, are veterans benefits. If you're a veteran enrolled in the VA healthcare program, or a beneficiary of the Civilian Health and Medical Program, known as CHAMP VA, the VA offers a dental insurance program that gives you the option to buy dental insurance through Delta Dental and MetLife at a reduced cost. The VA also provides free dental care to vets who have dental problems resulting from service. To learn more about these options, visit va.gov dental there also is cheaper dental care. Because prices can vary by dentists, one way to ensure you get a good deal on your dental care is to call multiple providers and compare prices. To get an idea of what different dental procedures cost in your area, see fairhealthconsumer.org. If you're paying cash, it's also perfectly reasonable to ask your dentist for a discount. There are also a number of health centers and clinics that provide low-cost dental care to those in need, and all university dental schools and college dental hygiene programs offer dental care and cleanings for less than half you would pay at a dentist's office. Students who are supervised by their professors provide the care. See teethwisdom.org, that's teethwisdom.org, to search for a center, clinic, or school near you. And that does it for today's reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette for Saturday, February 4th. I've been your reader, Mary Neff. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And as always, we thank you for listening.